Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work and welcome to 2023. My name is Andy McLenaghan and today I'll be exploring the social work response to the crisis in Ukraine caused by the Russian invasion. I'll be speaking with Dr Rory Truel, Secretary General of the International Federation of Social Workers, about the Federation's work in Ukraine and neighbouring countries to support people displaced as a result of the Russian invasion. Rory, welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. It's very nice to be with you today. Thank you so much, Andy. Great, great, wonderful, Rory. And Rory, it's a, it's it's a while since we've spoken. We haven't spoken on the podcast before, but we, you know, we're in touch now and again. I believe you've been doing a bit of travelling. Post pandemic, things are starting to open up again. That's right. So uh, travel is now uh, possible. Um, there's obviously uh, more restrictions because of COVID. Um, but uh, I've just had the really wonderful experience of being with the Malaysian Association of Social Workers as they are making huge inroads uh, to the development of professional social work, which uh, is going to have a huge impact on the government's strategy for social development and supporting all children to be in school, supporting marginalised people into workplaces and and all of those sorts of things that social work associations and social workers do. So uh, it was really great to get get back out to, to see uh, what people are doing in different countries and learn from them and share those things with other people. That's fantastic. Where are you based at the moment? Where are you right now? So I'm in Switzerland in the in the IFSW office. Okay, great, great. And what's the weather like in Switzerland? Right, r- right now it's about minus six, and uh, which is what you'd expect for this time of year. And um, and it's very beautiful. There's lots of snow around, so that so that I always like seeing that when I'm warm. I like seeing the snow. Around. Yes, yeah, yes, lovely. Well, Rory, today we're talking about Ukraine. We're talking about social work in Ukraine, social work in response to the Russian invasion. To start us off, it would be great to build a picture of both what life is currently like in Ukraine and also what social work um, was like in Ukraine prior to the invasion. So a couple of questions there. Um, I'm aware that you and colleagues have fairly recently been spending time in Ukraine. Um, So uh, what are things like on the ground currently? What's everyday life like in Ukraine? Right. So everyday life in Ukraine is extremely hard and it is in all war contexts and war situations. And social workers, like all citizens, are affected in every way by the war. There's no escape from 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 war when uh, when you're living in it. And so, uh, our colleagues that are practicing social work in Ukraine um, have loved ones at the front line. They have uh, constant sirens going off, saying that there is uh, drones flying above that will potentially drop bombs right where they are. Uh, they are uh, traumatised themselves from um, uh, loved ones being uh, hurt, killed, lost. Um, their families are often separated uh, because of the, the need for people to escape uh, the violence. And so, you know, the social workers are really um, going through the trauma themselves. They're really part of uh, the community that feels all the challenges of war. And in addition to the the violence, the bombs, there's also been a complete breakdown of the economy. So since the beginning of the invasion, many people haven't been paid. So they haven't been paid for a, a full year at this time. And um, and so you know, going to the local supermarket and buying products isn't isn't an option. Um, the supermarkets aren't full. Um, getting products in is um, uh, very very difficult. There are some aid solutions and there's some social work solutions, which we'll talk about, I, I, I'm sure, as we go through this 
uh, this podcast. Um, but so every day is a challenge. Um, I'll just give you one one example. Oh, when I was last there, we were opening a social supermarket. We were launching it, and one of the uh, local Ukrainian social workers came in, and all her colleagues started hugging her. And I don't speak Ukrainian, so I didn't understand what was happening at first. But the translator explained to me, and then later the social workers also talked with me, that that morning she'd received a text from her husband who was fighting at the front line, and and the, the message she'd received was, we're completely surrounded by the Russian army. There's no escape, so either today I'll be killed or I'll be taken prisoner. So she still came to work, and the reason she still came to work is because staying at home with that kind of news is just unbearable. It's just it's just unbearable to do so. So she came to work. She was helping setting up the supermarket, launching it, um, inviting people to use it, and she needed to she needed to be a part of that social community response and in order to help with that incredibly awful news that she'd received. Yeah, it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. Yes. You know, yes. It's, it's something that, you know, for us in the UK, um, just practicing in that sort of environment. I know from a Northern Ireland perspective, you know, we've done a lot of work um, looking at the, the role of social workers during the Troubles. And there's some overlaps there in terms of um, social workers practicing in what was essentially a civil war conflict um, in all but name. But um, to have that on a, a mass scale as a result of an invasion, it's something which mercifully, you know, thank God most social workers simply don't need to conceive of and, and can't conceive of. And it's something that the international profession, and I take responsibility as a part of this, that we need to get more information out to people because unfortunately we probably will experience more wars um, in our lifetimes uh, around the world. And we need to be able to understand the, the situation for social workers and to be able to find the right way to support them in those situations. But a, the, you know, a first part, and we've learned this from Northern Ireland, I think internationally, a, f a first part is acknowledging those challenges, recognizing those challenges, and, uh, and, and that opens doorways for support and solidarity. And things, um, the, the, the area of Ukraine that you've been working in, and we're going to get into the detail of this later, but you keep me right here. Is it Kamenz Podisk? Is that the pronunciation, Rory? Oh, I'm no expert on the pronunciation, but that sounds absolutely good to me. Okay, thank you. The, the situation um, or the security uh, situation in that region, um, in that city, it has deteriorated because we had initially, when we began planning this episode, we discussed potentially making this episode in Ukraine, profiling the work that IFSW has been doing there and interviewing some of the people involved. That became, um, that wasn't a possibility in recent months. That's right. We had um, really hoped to have this podcast where you could also interview people who are directly in Ukraine, social workers, and, and, and talk to them directly. And that's not, not possible at this moment. It's actually during a visit uh, that IFSW Europe had organised uh, when I was last there that there was an escalation from the east side of the, the country to drone bombs uh, going across the country. And so... Um, so on that particular weekend, uh, there were um, bombs being dropped on the town next to where uh, I and other social workers from IFSW were, and so we got to we we got to sniff at some of the some of the daily uh, trauma uh, that people experience, 
Um, and it hasn't meant that they're running away. It, it has meant that they've got to work in a different way. Um, and we can we, we, we'll talk through that as we go forward. Absolutely. It's your colleague Anna Radulescu, um, chair of IFSW Europe. She has been very active, hasn't she, in terms of the, the work in Ukraine? Right from the beginning. Anna was the central person uh, coordinating the social work response at the border in Romania, uh, the border of Romania and Ukraine, and uh, also coordinating the uh, IFSW European response, how we can support the communities and the social workers and the people of Ukraine. And so she's been a, the key pivotal leader in this process. When you, The term tirelessly working gets used all too often, but I was in, in preparation for this episode reading through the IFSW press releases. Um, I don't think that term even does Anna's work justice. She has been fully committed to, to, to this work, hasn't she? Well, since, since, the, since the invasion for Anna, it's been every day, seven days a week, and uh, sometimes with as little as two or three hours sleep per night, she's 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 uh, taken huge responsibility uh, to to be able to support the development of social work in order for communities to receive the best support that they can for refugee uh, pe- uh, pe- people that are uh, are moving through Europe to receive the best support that they can. And, um, and we're really, really thankful that we have such a capable leader that um, has many, many years of skills of working in crisis situations. Now, I did say, it, it, the first question I asked, I was keen to know a bit about social work in Ukraine, so pre, pre-invasion. Uh, the National Association of Social Workers, it's recently been established in Ukraine and it's registered with the Ukrainian government. It's also applied to join the International Federation of Social Workers. But I was quite surprised that until recently there was no national association. So to set a wee bit of context, Rory, what is the situation like in Ukraine? How does the social work profession in Ukraine compare to other European countries? Well, Ukraine, like other ex-Soviet countries, uh, is relatively new to professional social work. So um, under the Soviet system, uh, there were no national associations across all of those countries, and they've all had to start um, with a new beginning in the last uh, two and a half decades. And um, and some have been able to develop faster than others. Um, there had previously been a national association in Ukraine, um, in the early days of their independence from the Soviet Union. But um, like the, with many volunteer-based uh, organisations, there's a start and then a stop and then a start and then a stop. But now we have uh, a very robust national association. It formed during the period of this invasion of the war and um, and uh, developed its its understanding of its purpose, its role in the context of providing support uh, for communities to be able to survive and also looking towards the future on what kind of social services need to be developed post this war. So it's, it's, uh, I'm in no doubt that this, this association will continue. It's got a huge amount of support internally in the country as well as outside uh, from other, other national associations. So um, it's now become a full member of IFSW just very recently. Oh, it has. Oh, great. It has, okay. yes. Yep. And, um, and so they, they now sit at the international table 
um, contributing to the development of uh, social work policy, thinking, strategies, uh, along with all the other members. And Rory, how has social work in Ukraine responded to the Russian invasion? We're going to talk about the, the projects that you've been involved in, but I mean sort of grassroots social work, everyday social work, you know, safeguarding of children and older people. The risks posed to national security, they're clearly extreme uh, in terms of the conflict, but the risks to individuals who use social work services, they won't have disappeared. You know, Has there been a continuation of social work as normal in the past year? I think not. I think, uh, now, it's, I definitely can't speak for the whole of Ukraine. I can only speak for the uh, province that I've been uh, able to visit three times. And, um, and there... Life has changed. It's completely broken down. Um, and uh, uh, what support you would have if you had uh, disabilities or you were uh, particular vulnerabilities in a community uh, prior to this invasion, um, I'm, I, I can't really comment on it in full because what's happened is we've needed a completely new way of working, a complete new response, which has been not, not based on government services, but based on community services. So uh, we're rewriting our understanding of social work under war conditions as we go through this experience with the, the idea of community mutual support for communities to recognize their strengths, abilities to help one another, to provide assistance to each other in terms of uh, visiting and supporting um, isolated elderly people, as uh, uh, communities supporting uh, families at risk, uh, communities supporting people without enough food, uh, supporting each other right now uh, with uh, energy challenges, so for heating. And, um, and in terms of child protection, there's lots and lots of different examples on how communities are able to do that. So just one example would be with the huge numbers of refugees that came across the borders in the early days of the invasion. And you may remember in the early days, it wasn't just the eastern side that was uh, where the, 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 the frontline battle was. The whole of the country was invaded. And so there were many millions of refugees. And... Um, at the borders were many NGOs, many government services from the border countries, and also organised crime. Mm -hmm. um, organised crime that uh, often masqueraded as an NGO. You might see a sign saying, please come, you're welcome to have something to eat with us. We can organise transport for you and your children to safety. And there was no vetting service initially. Social workers had to clean that up, and we did clean that up. But um, what was really important was that as refugees moved across the borders was to set a whole of systems in place. And the most effective one, or one of the most effective one, was as the refugees came, came across the border, they'd be greeted by social work teams, they'd uh, be given information that the refugees could use to make their next steps. But they were also, look, who are you travelling with? Uh, are you, you're on your own, just your two children and yourself. Well, it's really important to connect with other people, um, to uh, have a WhatsApp group, to, to keep in touch with each other. Um, if someone offers you a, a ride in the car, 
um, take a photo of the registration plate and a photo of the driver, circulate it on your WhatsApp group before you get in the car. If the driver doesn't want that, don't get in the car. And this was a, a process to to uh, help people to develop basic safety systems uh, to avoid the unfortunate risks that, that they experience as refugees. Now, those risks, I just want to say, are uh, uh, completely outweighed by citizens from all of the border countries wanting to really help and do the right thing, but the risks were still there. And Rory, that's such a tangible and practical way to assist. Is that the sort of thing that other NGOs just, it's not on their radar to be suggesting or helping refugees with? You know, from a, is that very much a social work response? Is that something that's lacking elsewhere? I think that is very much a social work response. I mean, a lot of NGOs that were at the borders, they're, 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 they're it's great that they want to distribute aid and support and you'd get um, uh, NGOs offering um, that the, they would have purchased or ac- uh, somehow accessed SIM cards um, for for people to use across Europe, um, uh, setting up tea and coffee stations, setting up stations with nappies um, and all of those things which are really, really important. And also social workers, of course, engaged in, 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 a, in the development of those um, processes as well. But in thinking through the refugees' journey and thinking through how to keep ch- children safe and vulnerable com- uh, members of communities safe, that's much more a, a social work practical focus. It's not just here to feed you. We're here to support you and enable you to make decisions and to establish relationships in the uncertainty of being a refugee or an internally displaced person, those relationships are still really key for your survival. That interdependency, which we we in social work know is so important. It's incredible. It really is an extension of that concept of social work as a relationship-based profession, which is something we talk about all the time. So that extends even to the most extreme cases of human need in the cases of a refugee situation. Rory, one of the things you've touched on, you've mentioned vulnerability. And I think in this context, it's really important to recognise that not everybody is equally vulnerable. We made a recent episode of the podcast exploring the role of social workers in disasters and we discussed the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Society's definition of disasters and that's summarised as vulnerability plus hazard equals disaster. So the invasion of Ukraine, that is undoubtedly a disaster. Some will be more vulnerable than others uh, and will have been more affected uh, than others. We'll remember that during the periods of COVID lockdown, there were concerns that opportunities to identify instances of child abuse and neglect, they were reduced as children weren't attending school and normal activities. But what I'm, what I'm keen to know is, is there a concern that conflict has created a similar situ- situation in Ukraine? You, you've touched on um, the work that social workers are doing as, as refugees are leaving the country, but for people that are still in the country, are those risks heightened because the normal type of social work, uh, statutory social work, is has been hampered so severely? I think I think the international community, the United Nations, the the, the international aid agencies are watching what we uh, social workers are doing in Ukraine with great interest. We're moving beyond the context of aid, humanitarian aid. We're, 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 um, uh, the local social workers are engaging their communities in not just mutual support for, for now, but how they can continue to support each other in the long run. 
what what happens when refugees return, how how they can be supported, how how to support the internally displaced people who have arrived in a new part of Ukraine with absolutely nothing but the clothes on their backs. And you know, you, you can see them you can see them on the streets. Um, very often it's women, mostly it's women because men are conscripted into the army. Um, you know, carrying a rucksack, a baby in one arm, and in in the hand a toddler. And so that's that that, that are people who are vulnerable um, uh, in a disaster, walking from uh, a, a place where they may have lost their home to to bombing, uh, to to search for for a new place. So um, the, the the social work response is working with communities where it's a little more safer. Uh, relatively safer to where the displaced people have come from. How can we convert a school into a community? So rather than just building beds and putting them in the school hall and have, and um, and trying to uh, make sure that the kitchen works, it's it's coming into a community where people welcome each other, where the community meet, they can make decisions about how they want to change their environment, um, where. They could recognise the skills of everybody, what what work everybody can participate in, um, um, how everybody can contribute, and that uh, that approach we're told so so often, time and time again, by the by the internally displaced people, it gives them hope, it recognises their dignity. There are options for people that uh, want to to queue up. Uh, to a, an NGO or an aid um, organisation that's been established, and they can queue up and they can they can go and get a plastic bag with some with some groceries in it. They don't know what the groceries are until until they've uh, left the queue. Um, but by far and large, most people want to play a role. They want to be involved. They they want to be active. They they, they they're proud of their country. They're proud of the strength of their country. They're proud of the the men and women fighting at the front line, and they and they want to have a role too, and so the social workers have helped facilitate that, and it all comes down to recognizing people's strengths. So when when someone comes along, the social workers are constantly doing. Um, I'll use the word social diagnosis, but it, that sounds rather clinical, and I don't really mean it that way. But to, to understand what what skills there are in the community and what people can offer. What, how they can help each other. If if someone's if someone's been a, a mechanic, can they help repair cars? Can they help repair heating systems right now? If someone's um, been a teacher, uh, while the schools have been closed, children still need to be taught. Um, can people do childcare with each other? Those sorts of those sorts of facilitation processes are really key in this strategy. Rory, you've mentioned, we've mentioned a number of times uh, displaced people. So I just, just to set some context for listeners, Ukraine has a population of approximately 41 million people. And according to the UN, nearly 8 million Ukrainian refugees have been recorded across Europe and nearly 6 million Ukrainians are internally displaced. So the impact of the invasion has been absolutely enormous. You'd mentioned earlier um, the impact, uh, the very real direct impact on a social work colleague you'd been talking to whose husband um, who was fighting and was fearing his death or capture. I mean, in the UK, the social work uh, profession is predominantly uh, female, um, I think around 80, 85%. In Ukraine, 
conscription has been limited to men, I think between the ages of 18 and 60. In terms of the workforce, the social work workforce, has it been depleted by uh, conscription or is it again a largely female workforce and, and not affected in the same way? Well, I think uh, in all the Western countries, the social work workforce is predominantly uh, female. And, uh, but in Ukraine, it, it started with quite a, a small base. Uh, as we said before, social work's relatively new. There are universities that are um, uh, graduating uh, social, social workers, um, uh, but there hasn't been the kind of services that you would have seen in the UK or in um, more uh, uh, industrialised countries in Europe or North America. Um, and uh, a lot of people actually don't understand what social work is in Ukraine which also is, occurs, occurs in, in, in other countries, of course. Yeah, it certainly happens in the UK. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I think at this stage, it's fair to say, at least in this province, that social work has become very visible, that uh, more people have come to support uh, the social work activities than ever seen before, um, uh, that people from other professions have naturally slotted, slotted in working alongside social workers. Um, we've established something called the Community Social Work Centre in this province, which supports a local population of about 50,000 and a displaced population of another 50,000. And um, and the local mayor has never seen so much community engagement um, since since uh, starting the centre. Um, uh, there, there, there's literally thousands of people that come along wanting to contribute. Um, and we could talk about what happens when they contribute and why they want to contribute in a moment, but um, everybody is totally aware in this province that social work is a really key way of surviving this war and giving hope and giving, giving a, a vision to people for new ways of working. And it's been really great that the Prime Minister of the country has uh, evaluated uh, this approach and wants it to grow across all of the provinces, across the whole country. So I'm sure we'll see social work's visibility grow um, in a way that could not have been imagined before. Rory, I'm really keen to know about the practical work that IFSW have been doing um, in Ukraine, but also in the bordering countries. The work that you're doing now, but also the work that you did in the immediate aftermath of the Russian invasion. So if we go all the way back to February 2022, when the invasion occurred, what was the IFSW response in those immediate days and weeks after the invasion? Well, really within the first days, social workers were uh, working at the borders to support the refugees that were leaving. You, 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 the listeners will remember watching TV, watching people pouring across the borders of Poland, Moldova, Romania, Hungary, and other places. And one of the things that social workers had learned from the 2015 uh, refugee crisis when Syrian people needed to come into Europe was that we needed to do things differently this time. And we were very cognizant that Many people that came across the borders of Europe back in 2015 got stuck in disempowering and frustrating situations like tent refugee camps. And so really from early, the, the very first day, um, Anna Redalesco and other social workers led a process which wanted to 
provide as much support to the refugees' dignity as possible. And people that live for months, and some some Syrian refugees are still living in temporary camps, even today, there is no dignity in living in a camp, living in the shadows of society. And so the social workers involved at the front line at that time, first of all, wanted the refugees to have good information for them to be able to make their own decisions. Social workers, of course, recognised that people make good decisions for themselves when they've got good information. And so rather than a a kind of a more traditional response from aid agencies is, please go to this camp, our response was, this is the free public transport that you can access. This is where countries are extending invitations for you to uh, go. This is where countries are not extending invitations. Um, this is where you can get food. This is how you can uh, find um, a supportive situation. And so getting that information to people right from the start for them to make the decisions was key. Then social workers, rather than people going into camps, really wanted them to go into some kind of, not permanent, but but semi-permanent accommodation and to be able to find jobs and for the children to go to school because that's what the refugees were saying that they wanted. So just the work that happened in Romania was one really nice example, but it was a typical example. Social workers in the, in the um, capital of Bucharest which is 200 kilometres from from the border, went to the local authorities, the local council, and said, look, we need some buildings uh, because we need to house refugees. And because of the pandemic, there had been a number of buildings that hadn't been used for nearly two years. And there was no money. There was no funding to renovate these buildings or change these buildings. But as refugees went to the border, they were told, look, one option is that you could go and be a part of renovating a building to create apartments for yourselves. And um, many people took this option. The buildings were filled up quite fast. And I went to visit one of these just a few few weeks after the start of the invasion. And they had, um, uh, the refugees had painted the building uh, inside to make it nice colours, to make it more friendly from from a previous office environment. There'd been... um, assembling furniture which had been donated uh, that that created a, a community kitchen inside the building and they were very proud to to introduce me to some of the uh, Ukrainian cuisine which you could smell throughout the building they'd um, created a whole floor as a play space for children and there were painted whales and drafts on the on the on the walls as you as you might expect in other countries too and also with the support of the social workers had set up a contracting service so that people that offered childcare, people that offered uh, um, home handy person or home handyman um, jobs, uh, people that could uh, do gardening uh, for for the locals, and so they were earning money. And it was really great that the citizens of Bucharest were able to also engage in those services. The social workers further went to the schools and negotiated that you know some of the refugees were teachers and, and could offer. Uh, the Ukrainian curriculum in their class. They just needed a classroom. They had the children, they had the teacher, but they didn't have a classroom. And those things were able to move ahead. 
Rory, you mentioned there, and I think this is a very important point, you mentioned that citizens in Bucharest could also avail of those services. I mean, refugee migration all too often can result in opposition from right-wing parties opposed to the presence of refugees. And we see that constantly in the UK in relation to people crossing the English Channel to seek asylum. But that um, opening up services to uh, local people as well as refugees, that was a key part of attempting to cut that off at the head, that sort of that right-wing opposition, isn't that right? Well, that was one of our learnings also from the 2015 refugee crisis from, with uh, Syrian refugees. It led to many countries in Europe, the, the growth of right-wing political parties um, saying to uh, disenfranchised, vulnerable um, members of their own countries, own citizens, saying, look, these refugees are coming in, they're taking our jobs, they're getting government money. Um, uh, where is the pride in you as a national citizen? Um, and we had, uh, uh, across many European countries, an explosive neo-Nazi-type uh, political parties getting into parliament. It was, it was uh, an incredibly scary time. So as a social work profession, we were very cognizant to manage that or to try to influence that not happening again. And so when when any services were set up in, in the railway stations or in community centres that offered free SIM cards, free food, support, um, uh, services, um, accommodation, those things, local vulnerable populations were also invited. They could come and have a meal. They could come and get a SIM card. They could come and to the clothes shop that had been um, created for refugees and also chose some of the donated clothing. And um, and it's difficult to say how successful the strategy was um, because it may, there may be other dimensions, but certainly social work played a key role in minimising the backlash from these right-wing propaganda parties uh, because we haven't seen their... Uh, uh, we haven't seen their voice uh, and, and the support for those parties in any way as we did in 2015. So that was one of the learnings to put in place. Mm. There's also the factor that these were the right type of refugees in those people's minds. They were white Europeans as opposed to Middle Eastern people from Syria. That is a factor. That is absolutely a factor. But the, the same arguments have tried to be advanced by some of the politicians and we've seen it in some, some of the European countries. Uh, we don't want refugees here. We want to prioritise and focus on our on our own uh, peoples, and that was also that was also a, a message for uh, Ukraine citizens as well. But mostly, mostly there was uh, a, a much broader and a more immediate welcoming um, from the Ukraine uh, towards Ukraine refugees. I mean, you see that language all the time. You get it here in the UK. The, the sort of the, the example always comes to mind is you'll have people on social media talking about what are we doing for our military veterans? What are we doing? And we're doing all this for Ukrainian refugees. And the question I'd put back is, what were you doing for your military veterans before the refugee crisis? You know, it's just the fact that there's now a refugee crisis. You just use this example where there is need, certainly, but it's a it's a bogus argument, you know. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was getting on my soapbox a bit there. Um, but Rory, we can move it back to talk about we can move it back to talk about the work, the vital work that you're doing within Ukraine. So we're looking at the area of Kamets Podisk. Um, hopefully, anyone who's listening in Ukraine that that pronunciation is is okay. If it's not okay, 
send us an email ltsw at basw.co.uk I'd like to be corrected but in terms of the work that is happening in Ukraine Rory you've talked about you know community kitchens and, and whatnot in in Romania but there's been you know significant amount of work that's been happening on the ground in Ukraine led by FSW social work led that is responding to community need can we talk through some of the, the practical examples there and and while we're doing it what I'm very conscious of is huge amount of trauma in the country permeating all levels of society whether it's guys that are fighting at the front line their families um, who are worried about their safety the the threats to people's safety because of bomb attacks in Ukraine the levels of trauma must be off the scale but I'm aware that when people are empowered to address the problems that they face there is an element that of that process that can make uh, trauma recovery easier in, in certain ways correct me if I'm wrong on that so let's talk through the practical examples um, that IFSW have been taking forward on the ground uh, and also then looking at through the lens of how that empowerment is helping people address the traumas that they that are their daily reality. I'm very pleased that you've um, brought up the question of trauma because there's a lot, a lot that we're learning as an international profession from global experience of wars, famines, uh, extreme poverty and so on about trauma which isn't often addressed in the literature. But, um, uh, so maybe we get the opportunity to unpack a little bit of that. What we, what we, just one quick thing from that is that we know that when people are engaged in their own recovery, that their trauma symptoms are less. They have less nightmares, less flashbacks, um, uh, more energy, uh, when people feel that they've got a role and that role is key to their own and others' movement forward. So when people are, as you've just said, when people are engaged in moving forward, this trauma is still there, but the but the, the symptoms are, are much less. So IFSW um, has had no problem with uh, encouraging and inviting people to be a part of the recovery, not to be a passive victim, but to, to be an actor of change. And um, and you, you mentioned a little bit earlier something about IFSW-led. I'm not quite sure IFSW has led anything. What we've done is form a partnership with a local province and communities that sit within it at their invitation to bring our international experience for them to lead. The changes. So it's community-led. And IFSW's played a really important role in terms of uh, bringing in our global experience, uh, our, our support and facilitation uh, uh, to, to create key conversations locally. But at the end of it, it's all, all the immense range of positive actions have come from the people uh, of Ukraine uh, rather, than, rather than from us. So the very first project that, that IFSW uh, got involved with inside Ukraine was a community kitchen. And in the context where there was no supermarkets, there was no money, and so on and so forth, um, uh, we, we realized there was a group of women that were committed to being able to provide food to the front line, to soldiers. And, um, and we worked alongside them and 
started to produce dehydrated packets of uh, food. And these, these, these local women knew um, how to make a, a really, really wonderful uh, uh, borscht, a, a beetroot soup and, and um, a barley soup and all of these sorts of things and what herbs to put in and what bay leaves to put in. And we were able to help uh, with providing some um, uh, dehydration machines and um, and they started to organise in quite large numbers uh, the production of food and, and very quickly produced 1,200 meals per day. And de- a dehydrated packet of food um, can uh, translate to five litres of a, a very thick, nutritious soup. And it's very, very light, a couple of hundred grams, and it could be transported anywhere. So um, this, uh, as, as the production scaled up for this, it wasn't just about food for the frontline soldiers. It was about food for the entire country. And, of course, 1,200 a day isn't going to feed the, the country, but this is a model uh, that we wanted to support being replicated across the country. And while these women were preparing these, these, um, these packets of food, they brought their children. And then, and then one of them uh, was able to say, oh, look, I can play some games with the children. Or I can... I can um, uh, do, uh, teach them maths or I can teach yo, uh, uh, English and um, and so the children started to have activities as well so they weren't sitting in their apartments or in their temporary accommodations they were they were coming together as a community and one of the women told me uh, which I think is really really typical she said oh, I have to come here every day to this community kitchen I have to come here because it gives me purpose it gives me life and I just wish that everybody in the world could have an experience of this because if we did, there would be no more wars, was, was her comment to me, because she saw the richness of people working together from lots of different backgrounds, um, displaced people from lots of different parts of the country, some of them only Russian-speaking, um, working together, creating food for everybody. Can I ask a question, just break it in there, Rory? I, wasn't, I hadn't planned to ask this, but... On the ground, is there a sense of animosity towards Russia or is there a sense of animosity towards Putin and the Putin regime? So I, I'm, I've just had some personal interactions and, and, and so, of course, I can't speak to a general mood, but um, there's been absolutely no call from Ukrainian people or Ukrainian social workers for IFSW to take sanctions against our Russian member or uh, in any way or form, um, there is a there, there's a, a, a recognition inside Ukraine from the social workers that Russian social workers are under in a, in, a, in a context of if they speak out against the war, that they will uh, be potentially imprisoned for fifteen years, and and awareness of the internal hardships inside Russia. Um, so. Um, uh, of course, there's immense anger and uh, um, with the invading force uh, and Putin and the regime. Um, but I, I think the people that I've spoken to um, uh, are, are aware that there's also a lot of persecution that goes on inside Russia as well. 
Thank you, Roy. And sorry, that was a bit of a segue. But if we get back then to the to the, the community uh, level work, so the community kitchen, social education courses, the drop in service, childcare and schooling, respite care programs. There's a huge amount that's happening. There's also a community supermarket that was mentioned earlier. Can you tell us a bit about that? So as these as these sort of community project services started to 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 take shape, in a way which this this particular community had never seen before, um. You know, uh, more internally displaced people were coming. How are we going to create beds? How are we going to create winter clothing? All of those sorts of things. Now, one option is to look at aid and to ask other countries to donate those project products. But another option, which this community took and the social workers supported, um, was for people to be able to manufacture their own beds and their own clothing. Because then they're part of the solution. Then they're, then they're making contribution as, as uh, to, then they're not sitting passively waiting. And so, uh, so centers were set up to, to, to manufacture furniture. Um, clothing was, uh, being made, um, with any materials that could be found. Um, uh, people were invited to, um, come into art classes, therapy classes, uh, and they could run them themselves if they had the experience uh, in the social work centre. And so thousands and thousands of people were engaging in these in these processes. But one of the issues that we hadn't uh, uh, immediately addressed, uh, but became we became very aware of, was the need for people to be able to access food with dignity. And so we started to explore uh, the idea of having a social supermarket or a a supermarket that was not for profit but run by the community for the community and um and it's been a great success just just today i was looking at some of the facebook posts uh from the people that run the supermarket and uh and it's going incredibly well the way it works is that when you do a community activity and you register that at the uh social work community center or you offer it at the social work community center for every hour that you work, you get issued with a voucher. And then you can exchange those vouchers for uh, supermarket products. So you can buy what, whatever you want um, at the supermarket, just as you do in your own country now, more or less. And um, and it's really wonderful. As I said earlier in this interview that that I was at the launch, and, um, and but it still continues today. You see people going in, Elderly couples, um, what should we have for dinner tonight? Oh, why don't we have pasta? No, no, I think we need to have uh, vegetables. And uh, and then you know they've got their little list and they and they go and, and and put those things in their basket. And then they can exchange those for the vouchers for the for the community services that they've run. This is about dignity. It's so different from getting that little plastic bag in the aid queue. And then opening it later to see you've got three cans of peas or maybe mushrooms and then having to work out what you're going to do with those. So the system is really trying, is really based around supporting people's dignity in this time. So I, I think this is one of the most exciting developments. Um, it's a, a little bit like a time bank, food bank idea where people can invest and then get a different kind of return, but at a much larger scale, at a provincial scale, uh, supporting 
really hundreds and hundreds of people. And Rory, I mean, there continues to be a big focus on the provision of aid by governments and, and international NGOs. Has IFSW been engaging with other agencies to profile this work? Uh, have you been promoting it to, to the likes of the UN, to other government agencies? We have. We've been really happy that the United Nations, many of the United Nations agencies are watching this work with great interest because it really has the potential to change international policy, global understanding on social development in crisis conditions. So the tradition is humanitarian aid. Someone needs food and we will give them what we've got. There's no reciprocity. There's no building of the capacity uh, or supporting the building of the capacity of the people affected. There's no recognition of them as humans with strengths and talents uh, in that uh, traditional humanitarian aid approach. And so this is what social work is all about. You know, one of our founding principles is to recognize the strengths in people, to recognize what they can contribute. And um, and so because it's happening at a large province level, we've really gained the interest of the United Nations agencies and some of the international agencies, uh, aid agencies. And, um, and we're fostering discussions with them. As this goes along, we're sending them reports and we hope that it won't be just social workers uh, pioneering this as the world works through conflicts and uh, work, uh, learns how to respond. And, um, and the, you know, the key message for, for the international agencies is people have strengths and they have capacities and when they're part of the solution, we get sustainable outcomes. I just want to drop one other little thing in here. Please do. When, when the first waves of refugees left, there were busloads and busloads and busloads of institutionalised children um, going to from Ukrainian institutions to be sent to other institutions. And institutionalising children is a legacy of the Soviet period. Um, and uh, so if you had a, a, a moderate to severe intellectual phys- physical disability, you'd grow up in, a, in an institution. Now these communities are also envisaging inside Ukraine. What do we do when these children come back, when the buses come back? They're looking beyond the, the war. And they're saying, we need to bring them back into communities and families not back into institutions. That's the that's what happens when people uh, are listened to and are supported in recognising their own strengths. They, they go way beyond the immediate situation and see all the co- different kinds of potentials. So they're having conversations now about let's not rebuild those institutions, let's rebuild communities and families for everybody to have dignity. And that, 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 that is a huge sort of symptom of this way of working, a beautiful symptom of this way of working. Rory, I'm really, really glad you gave that example because the conflict's not going to last forever. Uh, and when Ukraine is being reconstructed in the aftermath of um, the, the fighting, I want to know what the role of social work is going to be in helping the recovery. So, you know, that was one great example about looking at, you know, having 
children with learning disabilities looked after in the community rather than institutions. What other ways do you see social work playing a role in, in the restructuring, the improvement of society after the conflict? Well, I think the social workers have been able to demonstrate very concretely how social development needs to occur. It needs to involve all people. It needs to facilitate discussions to make sure that all members of the community are supported. And so I'm no doubt that as, as they and we work through this, this awful war, that those principles and approaches will keep growing and growing as they're so effective. And there'll be, there'll come a time in which there will be, uh, international attention towards something like a Marshall Plan and the rebuilding of Ukraine. And the social workers will be there with a strong voice of how do we empower people? How do we empower communities to, to rebuild services that they feel are going to support their dignity? Not services that are bureaucratized or limited to some populations and not others, not services that are hard to ne- navigate, but services that are open and purpose-built for the communities uh, where people live and the particular issues that 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 exist in those places. So um, social work has become enormously visible in Ukraine. Um, it's really got the attention right through the political system in Kiev and across the country, and uh, and they're committed to to growing it and supporting it. And so I, I think we can feel really optimistic that this isn't actually just about other countries supporting social workers and social work development in Ukraine. They'll go forward. They'll go forward in a way which will surpass uh, many of the approaches to social services that we have in other countries. And those, therefore, will become the templates for us to adapt to our other countries as we all learn from each other. Rory, thank you so much for coming on Let's Talk Social Work. It's been incredible. It's so insightful. It's, uh, I just uh, you commend you for the work you're doing, uh, the work that you're partnering with people in Ukraine. Uh, I think it is, it's, it's such a good example of how social work is relevant in all circumstances. And I just think, uh, you know, it's just to be marked. I think it's great work. Thanks for coming on. Oh, and thank you too. And uh, just, just also to acknowledge, you know, all the social workers in Ukraine and also across Europe, um, led by Anna Redalesco and others, um, and uh, you know they're doing an, they're doing an incredible job. Um, it's unbelievable what has been achieved, and um, and it's great learning. It's great. It's it, it it'll help our profession globally in every country uh, from the experiences and the and the lessons that are being created there. And thank you so much to you, Andy. Oh, it's a pleasure. Hopefully, next time we do this, we will be in Ukraine together. I hope so too.